are again, and welcome to those that are watching in on this broadcast and those that are attending here this morning. Thank you for doing so. We're going to uh, continue on in our study in the book of Matthew, and we're in chapter 24, and there's so much stuff for us. I guess in any portion of scripture, you can just go on and on and on, but uh, there's a particular thing we want to look at this morning, and a couple of things we need to look at to run up and get to that point, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, <clears throat> let's have a word of prayer first of all. Our Father, we just thank you now, Lord, for this time. We just ask your blessing as we look at your word. You help us to understand these things, Lord, for it's a question that you ask. And uh, Lord, help us to understand. And we just thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, Matthew 24, make sure you have uh, writing materials and pens and paper and all that kind of stuff, <clears throat> excuse me, that you'll need. Um, something stuck in my throat. I was feeling a little bit, uh, <laughs> a little bit shaky earlier. Yeah, um, I didn't have breakfast. I often don't do that in the morning. I said to my wife, I need to go and just get something just to take that shakiness away. So I couldn't find, there wasn't any bread out, but uh, she had some Ritz crackers there that she doesn't like to share with me. <laughs> so I had a few Ritz crackers and a piece of cheese, and I think it's stuck right there. <clears throat> anyways, <laughs> anyways, let's get going on this. We're going to look at something this morning. There's a lesson here that the Lord Jesus has for his disciples back there. And if it's for those disciples, then is it for us? Of course it is. If you're a disciple of Christ, you notice that in the word disciple, the derivative of uh, discipline, okay? Uh, those that uh, look to the Lord Jesus Christ, that believe in Him and walk with Him, you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, uh, this lesson, though, is in the middle of the teachings about the near future. This chapter 24 is all about, not all about end times, but a lot of it. But in the middle of this chapter where he deals with the uh, future event as the, um, the seven-year uh, tribulation, we call it, and then in chapter 25, he gets into some of the stuff about the end of that and the beginning of the millennium. But in the midst of all those things he's teaching, he brings out a thing that was pertinent for them. Is that the word? Pertinent? Pertinent? Is that a proper word? For them at that day. And we're going to look and see that it's for us as well in this day. And a very important lesson. Um, uh, just reminding us of our part, our responsibilities, our duties in this time, this time that while we're here waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, just waiting for him to come back, we have some things for us to do. So let's just back up. Uh, now, I don't want to cover, our verse is going to be verse 45, and we left off at verse 32 or so. Um, so the Lord said in verse 33, when you see all these things take place, you know that this thing is about to happen, the end of the age and his coming. And then he says in verse 34, um, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all things will be fulfilled. Or sometimes people get a little bit mixed up and they say, well, all these things took place back then, almost 2,000 years ago. Oh, really? Okay. Um, then well, tell me where is the Lord Jesus? Because when he comes back, he's staying, mm -hmm. you know. Where is it? No, that's not what it means. It's not what it's about. The word generation there uh, kind of confuses people sometimes. They think, well, that's the people that, uh, that are standing there. They're going to be alive when he comes back and all these things are happening. Not necessarily. 
That's not necessarily uh, what that means. Um, it could mean, and probably means, this generation referring to Israel and those, the Jews there, that the generation of those who begin to see all these things will see them through the fulfillment. Uh, also referring to the nation of Israel, that it will not be abolished, it won't go away. Now, 70 AD, it look, would look like it did, okay? The Romans came and destroyed everything, and the people went, uh, I don't know what the figures are, I think it's millions that were put to the sword, and there was a tremendous amount of them sold off into slavery and such, things like that. And Jerusalem was destroyed, and it looked like that was the end of them. And they were scattered until 1948. Was it 1948? Until then, the nation of Israel came together and was recognized as a nation again. That's pretty important stuff, folks. That's pretty important. I think that's what he's referring to. And we have down from uh, verse 35 on, he says, Heaven and earth shall not pass away, but my word shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Yes, in Matthew 5, 18, he tells us that the law shall not depart, and he said, not one uh, uh, jot or tittle uh, shall depart from the law until all is fulfilled, and so on and so forth. And you see there that he's going to preserve his word in the Hebrew and the Greek. That's what he said right there. The day and the hour, nobody knows that day and the hour, but he's not saying you'll not know anything about it. He says, all these things, you'll see the signs of these things. You'll see the things coming to pass know that the end is near so we can see from the things coming about in in uh, in our world in society and maybe weather and things like that he says those are indicators that something big's about to change okay because you'll know that but you won't know the day you won't know the specific hour we looked at a few weeks ago in this chart up here about how the bible tells us in revelation chapter 9 gives us the actual length and time of the fifth and sixth trumpets, and you work backwards from the center, you find out, uh, um, you get some amazing things that the Lord said. You got three and a half years in that first half, and, the, and uh, um, the last year and a half are taken up by those two trumpets, so that means that the beginning two years, you have all of the seals and four trumpets. And we went through that to figure it out. He shows us those things of when he's coming back, you know, roughly, we can see within, It'll be within a two-year period there after the beginning of that. I mean, that's what it says. Mm -hmm. We looked at it. It's what it says. He says, you won't know the day and the hour. But don't forget, he told the Pharisees off when uh, about not understanding the time, the, the, the time that, uh, that they were in at, at that particular time. Uh, he says, you can discern the face of the sky, you know, red sky at night, sailor's delight, and all that kind of stuff. Because you can discern the face of the sky, but you can't discern the, the, the times. They had the Son of God standing before them, and they didn't know it. They couldn't discern. He told them off for not understanding the times. Okay? You won't know the hour. You won't know the day. But you'll have an idea. You'll have an idea. If you watch, you watch the Word of God, and you watch when things are happening, you'll see. But in verse 37, he says, uh, as in the days of Noah were. What was, what was it like in the days of Noah? Well, what happened in Noah's time? Oh, there was a flood. That's right. Noah, Noah was told to build that ark, and there was a flood. Why? Because of the wickedness of man was great. Uh, that wickedness was upon his imagination, his mind continuously. And the Bible says that because of the violence, God was going to destroy all. 
and uh, he found that Noah and his family righteous. They entered the ark and they were saved. It's a picture of salvation. It's a, a picture in Genesis of salvation and the waters of judgment came. And uh, there's fascinating, fascinating uh, uh, lessons for us in that. But as the days of Noah, one of the things about the days of Noah, if you can see that there was only eight people saved out of, they say there was about seven billion people on the earth, those that figure out, you know, how things multiply. And that, where'd they go? Like, well, what happened to them all? They were taken in judgment, but how come? One of the common things that you would say that there was, amongst all those people that perished, they lived their lives without God, mm -hmm. with no knowledge of God, with no fear of God, with no concern for God at all. Mm -hmm. Hey, doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound familiar? Maybe perhaps like <clears throat> our day it's going like that. Read Psalm 2, how they want to cast off the things of the Lord, get the, 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 the bondage of the things of the Lord away from them and that. God's going to sit in the heavens and laugh. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Life without God, with no thought for God at all. Hey, but that's our job. That's one of our jobs, is to tell people, <laughs> hey, if we're not telling people about Jesus Christ and standing up for God, then we're not doing our job. But we're going to get to that later on here. He's going to show us some amazing things here. And, and they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. There was nothing to hang on to. It was only eight people survived. And you know, I was thinking about it. If you read and study it, you'll see that the, um, in the mountains of Ararat and the people that live there have known that there's, there's an ark up on the mountain there. They've known that for generations. They have artifacts from it and stuff. There's reports from uh, Russian pilots, American pilots, CIA, CIA or is it FBI, somebody, those, those uh, organizations have done uh, uh, studies into it. It's well known that there's something up there. Yeah, big kind of boat sort of thing. Eh? I saw a thing on YouTube a while ago and they showed the thing. They went down inside it. And it's got three levels and it's all frozen and everything. And it's fascinating. It's there. How to get up there? It was a flood. Come on. That's what happened. That's what the Bible says. We don't need a proof of it. You read the Word of God and that should be enough. Amen? Amen. That should be enough. And the flood came and took them all away. Then he says, then two shall be in the field, one shall be taken, the other left. Two, sh two shall be grinding in the mill, and one shall be taken, the other left. Uh, first of all, I want to mention to you that in verse 41 it says, two women shall be, it's in italics. It's not like, it's not in the actual uh, original, okay? It was put in there to help give a sense, but also in one of the Gospels it says that there'll be two men in bed. But that's in brackets, that's in italics, it's not in the original because some would take that today and say, see, look at what's going on today. The Bible talks about it. No, it doesn't. Take those italic words out and you'll have what was originally given by God, by the Spirit of God. But anyway, the two shall be in the field, two shall be grinding at the mill, one taken to the left. Taken where? What's the context of this teaching? Verse 39, took them away, taken away in judgment. Okay, that's what he's talking about, his judgment. He says, you want to watch, watch therefore. And when he talks about watching, we know that, you can link that to other portions of Scripture where he talks about um, watching in prayer. Be prayer, pr prayerful 
uh, watch what's taking place and be in prayer lots. Now we're going to get down to, he's leading up to this, I think it's one of the major, major things in here for us. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known what watched, the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Uh, pay attention. And we did this, uh, verse 44, maybe a month or so ago, therefore be also ready. Are you ready? Are you ready for that time when Jesus Christ comes back? Also, are you ready for that time that just precedes that by a little bit? Maybe a year or so, we don't really know. But the Bible says there will be a time of tremendous persecution. We are not taken out at the beginning of the seven years. The seals are not the wrath of God. How many times do we have to say that? Once should be sufficient. The Word of God says it. Um, be ready. But He's coming back. In the meanwhile, okay, this is where we're getting at. This is our, our, um, our um, lesson this morning. It's verse 45. And you see the first two words. It says, who then? He's going to talk about some people in particular. <clears throat> you need to be ready. The Son of Man's coming back. And then he's going to give some instructions for the disciples as they wait for the Lord, as we wait for the Lord to return, okay? Now what I want you to do, well let's just read the verse first, verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? I draw your attention to the ruler over his household. The word, in the, as was originally given, is the word despot. We have in our uh, English today, the word despot means like a tyrant, something really bad. But back in those days, it didn't necessarily mean that. It didn't mean, it wasn't all just bad, but it did mean somebody who had an absolute control over the household, okay? Like the, the owner would go away or something and leave it under the management of this one individual. It was his job to make sure that everybody had whatever they needed to do the, their jobs and their food and everything else. He was the... Uh, the guy over the whole thing, he was called a householder, mm -hmm. okay? Now, we want you to take that word because we're going to look at the householder today and just some things about the householder. But I want you to turn back to um, Matthew chapter 13, okay? We're going to go back to Matthew 13. And it's kind of like a parallel passage to this verse 45 in Matthew 24. Now the Lord in Matthew 24 is talking about some things about the householder and while his master's away, but we're going to go back and look in Matthew 13 where he had already told them about this stuff, okay? He'd given more information about that back in Matthew 13. Now in Matthew chapter 13, you have the uh, seven parables that say the kingdom of heaven is like Okay, you have, you know, the sower that went out to sow and all this. There's seven parables there. <clears throat> We're not going to go through them for time's sake this morning. You know all about them. You've read those before. But we want to go to, at the end of that, the Lord had given them those seven parables. But at the end, <clears throat> excuse me, and we want to look at verses 51 and 52. At the end of the parables, the seven parables, the heaven, heaven is... Or the kingdom of heaven is like unto this. You know, the pearl of great price and all these seven different uh, parables there. 
Okay? Picture yourself there with the Lord Jesus. And he's just finished um, going through those ones. And he turns to the and he speaks to the disciples in verse 51 and says, Jesus saith unto them, Have ye understood all these things? This is one of the most important sentences on this subject right here. Right, right there, that little bit. Have you understood? Now that word uh, to understand means to perceive. Do you get it? He's saying, do you get what I'm talking about? He says, do you get this? Do you understand what all those things are talking about? Okay. And then in verse 52, he says unto them, then said he unto them, therefore, every scribe which is instructed into the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder that brings forth out of his treasure things new and old. So he says the householder and the scribe, same kind of thing. The same kind of thing uh, to give them meat in due season. Now we want to look at the, um, just a minute while I search my, or straighten my notes out here. I don't know how the others do it, but I get notes and I write bits and pieces here and there and I say, Lord, please help me to remember where I'm going next. <laughs> now, before we get going too far in this, I want us to go and understand something. In Matthew 13, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. And he says to them, do you understand all these parables about the kingdom of heaven? Now, there's a thing today where you'll find, and we've been talking about that a little bit on and off, that you'll find that in a lot of colleges, uh, uh, Bible colleges, uh, and so on and so forth, and in churches and stuff, they have an idea, and they're told, and it, a lot of it comes from, um, I think from uh, Schofield Reference Bible, that when Jesus came to the Jewish people in his triumphal entry, that he was presenting to them the kingdom. Okay? And that they refused him, so that the kingdom is postponed until now we have the millennium. Well, wait a minute. You haven't understood the seven parables there then. Mm -hmm. Because that's not what he's talking about. Don't you tell us that the cross is plan B? Come on. This is the lamb that was slain from before the foundation of the world. The cross is not found a, a, a plan B. He did not come to um, present the kingdom. You'll note that, um, um, well, we got some other stuff to look at first. What I want you to do first of all is keep your finger there and turn over to Colossians. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to reference this verse. In regards to the kingdom, we've done this before. There's one, if you had one verse that tells you straight out about the kingdom, uh, I think we should pay attention. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. This is a, an important verse in regards to the kingdom of heaven. Also, you know, you do a study, you go and write down all references to the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, and you'll find that some of those things are similar. That they're one and the same. They're not once for another time, once for a different time. They're the same. You will find that. Okay, you just check it out yourself. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. Now, we want to go back to 12 and get the idea of who's talking and who's the center here. Giving thanks unto the Father. Okay, it's about the Father. Giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us. Who? 
the Father hath delivered us from the power. That word power right there is the word authority. When you're unsaved, you're under the authority of the devil and the powers of darkness. That's what the Bible says. Okay, that's what it says. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Okay? Now those that believe that the kingdom was uh, offered and then postponed because they rejected Jesus there, that's wrong. Yes, there will be a physical uh, um, kingdom upon earth in the, of the millennium. But Jesus said that the kingdom of God comes not with observation. The kingdom of God is within you. Colossians says when you get saved, you are translated from the power or the authority of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. So I would ask you a question today. Are you in the kingdom of his dear son? Are you in the kingdom right now? If you're saved, if you're born again, yes, you are. Let's have a look at the word the wording there just for a moment. So we see that. It's talking about the Father has translated. And we see the word power is uh, um, the authority. Okay? Um, but the word translated we want to look at, it means to change and to remove. Or at the same time, to remove and to change means to cause to stand or remove a person from one place to another. But note, the word does not refer to being just moved from one place. You're moved and you're changed. When you get born again, when you trust in Jesus Christ, when you get saved, when you become one of God's children, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are out of the authority of darkness and you're changed forever, aren't you? Amen. How come? How'd, how'd that happen? Well, you believe in Jesus Christ and the gift of God. What is it? eternal life? Go a little further. The Spirit of God comes and dwells right within you. Ephesians 1.30, you are changed Amen. with the Spirit of God right inside. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. You should be jumping up and down, shouldn't we? <laughs> but that word translated has that idea of not only removed, but changed. Okay? Those... Uh, and remove from that one authority into the kingdom of his dear son. Through belief, through faith in Jesus Christ, we've been removed from the authority of darkness, from the, from the power of the devil himself. And there's verses, we're not going to get into all the verses that refer to that, being changed persons and removed and placed in the kingdom of Christ. Okay? You're in the kingdom right now. And that's the kingdom he's talking about in Matthew 13. Okay. That's the kingdom the Lord was talking about when he said to Nicodemus about uh, except you be born again, you not see the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. Okay? That's what he was talking about right there. Okay. Um, back to Matthew 13. So we must see that the kingdom present. There's a spiritual kingdom. There, yes, there's a physical kingdom. He's coming back to rule, isn't he? But right now, today, people that get saved, they're placed into the kingdom of God. The Spirit of God is there right there. You're there now. And he says to them, have you understood all these things? The kingdom of heaven, this present kingdom, this spiritual kingdom. Have you understood all these things? And they said unto him, yea, Lord. They said, yes, Lord, we, understand. we get that. We see that. 
Okay, and then he says, therefore, verse 52, therefore, since you understand, that's Matthew 13, verse 52, every scribe which is instructed into the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder which bringeth forth out of, the tre out of his treasure things new and old. We want to talk about the householder. Um, we want to talk about uh, um, this parable of the householder is the completion of these, I guess there you call it, there's eight parables if you count that one. Um, the first seven set forth uh, the truth concerning the kingdom of God in this present age. Okay, Those seven parables are set forth the, the truths and the things which would take place in this present age from the time of, of uh, uh, the Lord Jesus right up until the time he comes back and changes things. This parable teaches the responsibility of the disciples during the same period, this period right now. So we're looking at the Lord Jesus giving instructions to us. This is what it is in this present age. It's not a future millennium thing. I mean, that doesn't even make sense. Jesus is telling them 2,000 years ago, these are the things that are going to happen in the millennium. Okay, that's, that's nice. Like, how would that apply to them back then? Is it just a hit? No, it doesn't. Because if you look at Colossians chapter 1 and so on and so forth, he's talking about a different kingdom. He says, the kingdom is within you. Amen. We've gone over that and there's multiple, multiple verses to show us that. And you look them up yourself, get your concordance and look them up. These eight parables teach the responsibility of the disciples during this age. And these parables have no application to the age which went before the cross or afterwards. They're present today, but this time, right now, until his second coming. They are simply setting forth the truth concerning the process of God's plan in this particular time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. The parables reveal the responsibility of those who are disciples in this age. Okay. Now we look at that and we see the Lord ask the question, have you understood? Have you perceived this? Have you understood all these things? Now the question comes to, to my mind, and I don't mean to be unkind with anybody, like there's better men than me that believe about the postponement stuff and that. That doesn't make a person unsaved or anything. But when Jesus said, have you understood all these things, and you've got to put all these things in place, and understand the time frame and everything else, then you go forth, then you are as a householder. If you don't get it, what kind of a householder are you? You're telling people wrong things, okay? Have you understood all these things? And when they answered yes, he says, therefore, therefore, understanding all these things, it means quite literally to put together. You put it all together, you see it, and you understand that. Some don't understand or accept the spiritual kingdom, but this is what Jesus is teaching. And I ask you today, if that's where you're standing, how can you then be a proper scribe, a proper householder, if you don't understand those seven parables like that. 
one of the problems we see with the uh, with the Jewish people at that time, back in, in John chapter 1 and verse uh, uh, 46 to 49 where the Lord was gathering you know some of the disciples and the apostles together <clears throat> excuse me and then uh, um, Nathaniel's brought to him and the Lord says I saw you under the tree you remember that he says to Nathaniel I saw you under the tree and then then Nathaniel he's just taken by the Lord he says I, I saw you and so on and so forth he says uh, he says rabbi he says two things to the Lord it's very important Nathaniel's response because his response was this response of all of Israel in regards to the Lord Jesus Christ. They misunderstood something. He says, first of all, you are the Son of God. Got that right? You're good. And he says right after that, you are the King of Israel. Well, yes, technically he was and is. But he meant that and is watching for the Lord Jesus to establish Israel as a kingdom again and cast off the yoke of Rome, etc., etc. And the road to Emmaus, there's two walking on the road to Emmaus and they're talking with the Lord Jesus and, and they said something to the effect that, and, and, we, and we thought, I forget how it goes, and we, we hoped it was or we thought it was he who would restore Israel. That was the thinking, that was the process that the coming of the Lord would be that he would be the king that would deliver them. They didn't look at it, the spiritual sense of it. When he's riding into Jerusalem in the triumphal entry, what are they saying? Hosanna, Hosanna. It means save now. They're looking for him to throw off the, the, the yoke of Rome and all that stuff, eh? They didn't understand that it's not talking, he was not there in the first coming, was not about the physical kingdom. It's about the spiritual kingdom, okay? This is what the people looked for. This is what they want. And so many teachers today focus on that the same thing. The Lord says, do you understand all these things? <laughs> recognizing the person of Christ, but not recognizing the purpose and plan of Jesus Christ, that is the cross of Calvary takes no back seat to anything. It's number one. Amen. It's number one. God on that cross. God on the cross. For all of mankind, mankind of all time, for all sins, every sin that was ever committed, ever will be committed, and every sin that is being committed, He paid for that. Isn't that amazing? Amen. Wow. He could do that because this is God on that cross. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God manifest in the flesh, the Bible says. Okay? And, and some today who teach that the parables of Matthew 13 are for the future millennium, kingdom of Christ. Uh, are, it's an error, I'm sorry. Uh, in doing so, they, are, they teach incorrectly and are adding their own tradition to God's Word mm -hmm. and completely removing the uh, important teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ Regarding the scribes today, we have been given the responsibility of handling his word and bringing, and Philippians talks about holding forth the word of life. There's a word picture in there. It's like holding a platter of food out to a starving person. That's the gospel and the word of God that we have the responsibility to bring to those starving people that are unsaved. How somebody did to you and to me one time. 
told us about Jesus Christ. This is what he's talking about. It's not for some future thing. This is for now, right here. This is the responsibilities today in this age. Okay, we're well away from that. Okay, let's see what we got here. So we see the scribe and the householder. Back in the Bible times, the scribe, and you know they were the ones that gave Jesus a lot of trouble, eh? They're supposed to be the ones that were, uh, they'd study the word and they'd tell the people about this is what this means and stuff. When the Lord Jesus came along, who were some of the Lord's biggest enemies? The scribes. How come? Because they didn't get it. Because they were adding their own um, uh, 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 um, traditions and stuff to it. Uh, the scribe was a reader and, ex and an expounder of the law of God. So if we apply this to ourselves today, and, and there, if as a Christian you're not reading your Bible, you're not doing your duty. You know this isn't about you and me, eh? Christians sometimes get the idea that, that it's all about my happiness, my, my health and wealth and everything else, about me, 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 and God's just, he's going to do that. You got it backwards. We're here to serve him. We're here to serve him. He's given us a ministry of reconciliation. He's given it to us. One guy explained it to me this way. He says, suppose you were a, a soldier, you're the head of the army kind of thing, and the top guy says, hey, I want that land over there. I want you to go and conquer that land. What do you do? You go. You might die. You might be there for a long time. It's going to be a bloody mess fighting for it. He says, go get it for me. And you go and you do that. You do what he says. And what he says you will do. It's kind of harsh, you think, isn't it? Now, God's not quite like that, is he? He's full of grace and mercy. But he is God. And we're not here just to be... Uh, uh, ruling over him. Uh, that's not right. I didn't say that right, did I? We're not here to rule over him. He's here to watch over us and to tell us what, what is. So the scribes were to be readers and expounders of the law of God, to tell others. Okay? And they were to read the law of God and, ex and, and explain it and expand it to the people. For instance, um, Ezra, chapter 8. You write this down. You look it up later. Ezra chapter 8, verses 1, 2, and particularly verse 8. Ezra is an example of a proper scribe. It says that he stood in the midst of the people, and he read the law, and he gave the sense and the meaning of it, and caused them to understand. That's a scribe. That's a householder. That's us today. It's not just preachers and pastors and people that stand in pulpits. That's it, not, that's not, it's every one of us. Mm -hmm. No matter where you are, there's people around that God has brought into your life for you to be an influence upon them and to tell them. You to be a householder and show them. Think about holding forth that plate of food to this person that's unsaved. They don't know that they're sick with sin. They don't know that that's the problem. We've got to show them. We've got to tell them. We've got to be an example. You may have to just show your good works before they'll even listen to you. I don't know. Well, you know that. But Ezra, the scribe. Now the scribes in Jesus' time, they declared that their oral traditions for which they stood was like a fence around God's law. We've talked about that before. The Pharisees did that too, didn't they? 
In fact, they all kind of work together. They added to God's words, added their oral traditions in order to, according to them, to protect the integrity of the law, which is God's word. Okay? So we can see today that every cult and ism and false religion does exactly the same thing. Every liberal church, every, all of it, you'll note that you take a look at all the cults, they've all got another writing, another bunch of sayings. It's the same, because it's the same author. It's the devil working, isn't it? Every cult and religion adds to God's word. And what does he tell us at the end of the book of Revelation? Don't you dare add anything to these, to these words. That's paraphrase, but you go read that in the last chapter. They declared that the oral traditions uh, were like a fence around God's words, and they were protecting God's word. They're doing, doing God a favor by adding all these oral traditions in there. But they misinterpreted the law. They misinterpreted God's words. And this interpretation actually changed the meanings of God's laws and words. They became slaves to the letter of the law and their own tradition. And subsequently, in opposition to Jesus Christ, who was all about grace and mercy. They didn't know anything about that. They're just stuck to the letter. Law. You got to do it this way. You got and we see it today, even in some of our own churches, the same denomination. You got to have your hair cut so short, can't be touching your collar. You got to have the right Bible. You got to have the right color Bible. On and on, a bunch of nonsense. It's the same stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm just declaring it's the same stuff. Okay. The Lord Jesus was saying to his disciples, "You are to become the new scribes." You are the scribes. We are the scribes. That's us. We are the householders today, in this age, in this kingdom, right now. That's our job. All believers. When the Lord sent them out, at the end of the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, go and teach them all that I have commanded you. Well, that's just for the apostles. That's for us. Every one of us. Mm -hmm. Every one of us, do what you can. Place a track wherever you can. I mean, the one fellow said that he's, who was it? I forget who it was, anyway. An evangelist guy used to witness to a guy at a gas station, and he'd give him tracks all the time. Then he got people in the church go by and get their gas there, and everybody would give tracks. Finally, it came, the guy thought he was the only one in town that wasn't saved. <laughs> and guess what? He got saved. Because they were good scribes and householders, just doing what they could do. Okay? An understanding of the king's teachings, Jesus Christ is the king, of course. Um, it's of utmost importance to understand what he's talking about. Now, a wrong view or conception of the meanings here, or uh, uh, value, it may not interrupt with uh, uh, our enthusiasm in our, our Christian walk, or it may not interfere with our devotion to the Lord Jesus, but it will interfere with the intelligent outcome of our service and will limit the severe of action if we have wrong ideas and attitude. For instance, if we just push everything aside and say, oh, that's just for the future of millennium. You go and read Matthew chapter 5 to 7, the Sermon on the Mount. That's not for the future millennium. That's today. Matthew 13, these seven parables, that's for today. Wrong doctrine, 
does not benefit, it can only harm in the long run. Okay, we're just about done here. What then are the teachings of this parable in a broad outline? Okay, the mysteries of the kingdom in this age. There's just a few facts for us to look at, just or facts, just a few things for us to look at these seven things. First of all, that this age that we're in, we call it the church age, or the age of grace, whatever you want to call it, is one of conflict from beginning to end, isn't it? It's one of conflict that is characterized to a large extent by human failure. That's an age in which God accomplishes definite purposes. He's accomplishing definite things. God is. It's an age in which people are gathered to are gathered out of the world to serve Him, to serve God through these countless ages. I mean, it's been 2,000 years already. Those that are saved, those that have come to Him through His grace and through His love and through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? It's an age that moves to a supernatural consummation, one guy said. And the truths of it must be understood or you're going to have problems with it. There is no conversation or conversation, can't be more right. There is no conversation of the there's no conversion of the world. There's some that teach that the whole world is going to get saved. No, 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 it isn't. You go and read those seven parables and you'll find that's not the case. The great hope and the great focus is salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? One person at a time. The world's not going to get saved. It's going the other way, isn't it? The Lord Jesus said, it says that when He comes back, will He find faith upon the earth? Okay? Now the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ is for Him to reign. And then He'll set up His kingdom and reign for a thousand years. Okay? Right now we are the, today we are the scribes we are the householders. Do you understand this? Do you understand this? Do you understand it? That's all. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your grace. We thank you for this time to look at your word, Lord. We just thank you for it, Lord. Help us in our walk with you. We thank you for your graciousness and your mercy. Help us, Lord, to serve you, to walk for you, to walk with you, to serve Jesus Christ every day. Be before us, Lord. Help us to be good scribes, good householders, Lord. For we've got a tremendous treasure you've given to us. We pray that you'd help us with this ministry of reconciliation. Lord, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for all things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Okay, thanks, folks. Lord bless you. We'll see you next week. And uh, that'll be good. Thank you. Thank you.